Did, did he ever tell you about me and the Natty Light? No, but he was. He didn't like. I know he didn't like it. Yeah, you know why he didn't like it? Why didn't he like it? Because he spent a night recording with me and doing beer bongs of the Natty Light. Uh, I don't know that he had ever done a beer bong before, and I guarantee you, he never did a beer bong after. Got a beard and it's looking something fierce Having beers with my peers And talking rap careers Reflecting on the years Connecting on the tears Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears I'm bringing you fresh music I'm bringing fresh ideas I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music biz Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain With people who learned how to face it and be sane Sipping on a brew Doing interviews No topics off the table but we focus on breakthroughs So kick up your feet we're gonna put it in check You're listening to brews, beards and shipwrecks One, two we got the brews, we got the beards, tasty interviews for your ears to hear. One, two, one, two, one, my checks don't bounce, Royal Ruckus on the scene just to announce. We got the brews, we got the beards, tasty interviews for your ears to hear. Welcome to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm your host, Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus, and I'm here with... Nomadic Vagabond. Man, we are so glad to be back with another episode. It's been really fun being able to do this show via Zoom, to be able to have conversations on a broader level. You know, when this, when this show started, it was all about when I was on tour. And it was about traveling and bumping into people and having conversations. And that was really cool and amazing. And I, I, I hope that we can do more episodes like that. But with, with the state of the world as it is, there is no touring going on for me. So I am, I am enjoying this new format, and I'm really excited tonight because, you know, I'm, I'm, well, before we go there, let me check in with my boy Nomadic. What's going on with you, dude? How you no, been? I've been good, man. Just, um, you know, just gearing up. Uh, as many people know, it's like I work at a, a grocery store. Yep. Um, I work in a beer and wine department, so, you know, we're gearing up for a... Uh, Thanksgiving, but uh, during COVID, we don't know what it's gonna look like if sure. this is gonna be packed or what. So yeah. it's just you know, one day at a time. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> like, off. So. What 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 are the hot items in beer and wine around Thanksgiving and Christmas? Um, that really jumps out. Well, for Thanksgiving, it's usually gonna be like Pinot Noir and bubbles, things that go okay. good with poultry. Um, and there's also um, a wine called that's like Beaujolais Nouveau, which comes out of France, out of the Beaujolais region. And it's actually the first wine to be released during the current vintage. So it's a 2020 vintage, no oak aging or anything, just fermented, pressed in the bottle. So it's super bright and fruity. So it'll go with your ham, your cranberry sauce, your turkey. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so... So yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, you know, growing up in, in my family, you know, we have so many Mormon relatives and Mormons don't drink. And, uh, you know, when, when I was a kid, my parents definitely weren't, weren't drinking, especially not around the house. So, you know, maybe they had a cocktail or something on vacation. Um, but you know, that, that wasn't really part of our family culture. And so I don't know what people drink at Thanksgiving. Um, I, I like picking up a, you know, a six pack or something to share. Um, 
it's something crafty, but it's, it's hard for me to tell because most of my Thanksgiving has been about around people who are not having any, any adult beverages. But, you know, one, one of the reasons why uh, we're having this show is because we are approaching the holidays. And this particular episode, I think uh, we're going to dive in on some stuff that I think will mean a lot to a lot of people. Uh, 2020 has been a tough year for folks, you know. Um, you know, between, you know, the, the civil unrest and then the coronavirus, a lot of people, uh, well, and people losing their jobs, right, from the coronavirus or, uh, you know, income going down. Um, or even worse, losing a loved one, right? So these are going to be tough holidays for a lot of people. And I think there are some important conversations that could be had. And, and particularly, you know, one of the things I've found with this show, the more people I talk to, the more strength I've found from other people's circumstances, you know, other people's difficult things that they've gone through and handled well. And so I'm, I'm eager tonight because... Well, frankly, should, should I call you Mr. Vagabond? <laughs> How should we talk to each other on this show? I'll be honest thinking about that, too. It's like, I know, <laughs> we use our regular names or like our, our rat names, right? I mean, it's both, yeah, I mean, I got, I got you as Chun Jamie in my phone, so. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like, I like that. Right, yeah, man, you can call me whatever. You can call me Clayton, it's fine. All right, well, maybe for the purposes of tonight, I'll switch to Clayton, all right? Yeah. So, Clayton, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a friend who has a presence in your life that, however big or small, this friendship just changed you uh, for the better, right? I, I think we've all, we've all had that. Um, like, almost, maybe not something you recognize at the time, but something looking back, you go... I don't know what the next step in my life would have been without that person coming in. And that was my friend, John Jackson Craig. Um, you know, I, I met John Craig in, uh, gosh, probably 12 years ago, 11 years. I don't know. Yeah. I think it was 12 years ago in Nashville, in the Nashville area, we were at a men's meeting called the Samson society. I've talked about that on the podcast a few times and I've been on the Samson podcast, uh, as well myself. We met in this meeting and we were both rap dudes and I could tell just by sitting in the same circle as him. And it turned out we were going through some difficult things at the same time. And our difficult things were very parallel. And what happened in the next few months of our friendship um, really, you know, he more or less metaphorically picked me up off the ground and helped me back up on, uh, onto my feet and helped me dust off. And then I went and moved to Hawaii you know, 5,000 miles away from him. But we stayed friends and we used to make, um, we used to make fake plans. I think we hoped that they were real plans. But at the time, uh, I think deep down, we each knew that they were not gonna come to fruition. Like at one point he said he was gonna move to the big island and be my roommate in Hawaii. That never happened. Um, another time he said, let's move to New Zealand. I mean, they filmed Lord of the Rings there, it's super cool. And I said, dude, if you move to New Zealand, I will join you but you're going to have to move first. And uh, he never did. And it's a good thing he never did because he would have missed the chance of meeting an incredible human being who we have as our guest today on the podcast. And at that point, I would like to welcome Alexandra Craig. How are you, Alexandra? I am very well. Thank you so much for asking, James. Thank you so much for having me. 
Oh, so, it's so it's so good to have you here. Uh, tell us a little bit about what what you're up to and uh, what you, what you've been doing lately and what your life's all about right now. Well, uh, lately I've been drinking some tea over here while I've been listening <laughs> listening in. <laughs> so um, I have been keeping up with my little boy, John Jackson Craig II, um, mm -hmm. who is six years old, and he is a, a John 2.0 in a lot of ways. And so we've kind of been navigating the waters of um, e-learning and just recently in, in his school district, he just recently went back to school full time. So we'll see how long that lasts. But <laughs> he, yeah, we, we had the character building experience of mommy being the teacher, oh. which is a little difficult for kindergarten and first grade. So <laughs> subject matter is pretty simple, but getting Johnny, you know, to do the subject matter is a different story altogether. But he's a good kid, but he is an adventurous little fella, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, no, how you do that and, you know, oh, just sorry. figure it out. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead, I right we, I, I think we have a, a slight delay, as is always the case with uh, this technology. So I, I apologize mm -hmm. over, over you. How, okay. how old did you say he is right now? Johnny is six. Next month, he'll be six and a half. Oof. Just so hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really does. So, uh, so, so, tell me, tell me a little bit about this uh, this transition into him doing like quasi homeschool and this. Mm -hmm. what, what what's it been like for you? What what was that like? Interesting. It's been interesting. So in March, of course, whenever, you know, the world shut down, um, it was like right around St. Patrick's Day, whenever they determined that the kids were just going to be home from school. Now, we didn't know how long that was going to last, but they, they got some packets together and then we had some work to do. So and that was in kindergarten. Well, then it was determined it was just the school year. Like, oh, okay. So we, uh, we, we went with it. And then over the summer, they were, you know, we, we didn't know what was going to be happening, whether or not kids are going to be going back full time or full virtual or what have you. So he started um, just uh, two days a week, alternately and three days a week. So every, basically, by the end of two weeks, he was in school five days and then homeschool five days. And so we would have some, um, some subject matter to cover here. Um, you, you know, just your basics. I mean, like I said, it's not too difficult for first grade but you know it's an adjustment it's a big time adjustment for the kids yeah. to not yeah. be in their normal learning environment well and it's a it's an adjustment too for for you oh yeah it's <laughs> like for me you know i mean jamie knows this but for me it's like i have a 13 and a 15 year old a boy and a girl Ooh. and um we've homeschooled ever since like from the beginning so a lot of people right now have been asking me like well how is it homeschooling i'm like nothing's changed but you go from them you know your child being in school to all of a sudden they're home mm -hmm. all the time and then on top of that like you have to like be a teacher like mm -hmm. that's that's hard you know so it's like challenge well, kudos to all those parents who have been forced to be teachers you know because it's oh it's, absolutely i do a little bit but it's you know it's it's difficult it's not easy Absolutely. And I mean, Johnny and I have had it easy compared to a lot of families out there. Um, you know, I have a, a good girlfriend of mine has three kids as well. Well, yeah, three kiddos. Two are in elementary school and then the third is in like preschool. So not a curriculum per se. He's just kind of, you know, doing some things. But it is a 
big adjustment. There's the whole uh, being outside of a social atmosphere aspect where the kids are just not getting, especially if they're social creatures, they're not getting that interpersonal communication. And some students really thrive in that atmosphere. So it's a different ballgame altogether and a challenge all, all on its own them to form connections through their computer screen yeah. um yeah. you know it's a little bit different for adults to figure it out but when you're in elementary school it's it's tough yeah you and find six well six <laughs> mm-hmm. it's tough mm-hmm. well i was gonna say do, do you find it difficult to transition from like teacher to like mom to like have to like shut one off yes Yes, I do. Um, And the reason why is because, well, really, honestly, I don't even know if there's a way for me to separate the two, to be completely honest, because um, for, for Johnny, it's almost like he, he behaves differently for mommy versus his teacher at school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm, I'm the one I'm, I'm the nurturer, of course, you know, yeah, disciplinarian too, but it's, it's, it's different. I mean, for him, yeah, he's got to cooperate. I mean, sometimes I've had, you th- okay, this is interesting. If you think about it, a lot of times teachers will make times have to intervene or sometimes a disciplinary action is to contact the parent, right? Yeah. About behavior kind of stuff. Well, in this situation, it's me having to make threats of possibly having to contact the teacher. Oh, like yeah, yeah. you need me to call your teacher. I'll text her right here right now. If you're not doing your work, you know, <laughs> like, no, don't do it. So it's like opposite, you know what I'm talking about? So it's almost yeah. like she is the, you know, contact mommy yeah. kind of thing. Um, so it is, it's interesting just because they're, they're two different places, two different dynamics and domains where kids are used to being one way in one environment and environment and different in another. Yeah. Well, there, there's a meme I've seen where it was like, you know, if you catch a homeschool parent talking to themselves, it's just a parent-teacher conference. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Sometimes it's like, you know, just in the other room where it's like, Lord, yeah, <laughs> hold me back, Lord, hold me back, <laughs> or something. It's, oh, yeah. Sometimes that's the parent conference. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one thing we haven't discussed is the Bruce part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're going to have to go into beard care this time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you haven't had a beard in a while, have you? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. I haven't. I yeah. <laughs> um, but so, so what are you drinking, Alexandra? This is candy cane green tea from Trader Joe's. Oh. And it is delightful. So it's, um, it's I, you know, I'm not a huge tea drinker, but for some reason, whenever, anytime I do like a, a video call or anything like that later at night, that's like, that's just what I do. So I'm like, otherwise I'll be up half the night drinking yeah. coffee. Yeah. So I'm usually coffee over tea, but this is, this is rather delightful. It's um, like I said, candy cane green tea that you can find at local traders. Is it, uh, do you got like sweetened with a little cream and sugar or is it just plain? I do. I do, I do. So I have a bit of stevia and then a splash of heavy cream. There you go. Yeah. All right, Jamie, what are you drinking? So I I forgot to get the brand, uh, but I'm drinking a Malbec. And uh, we we ordered a case off of Groupon of Argentine wines or Argentinian. How would you say that? Are they Argentine? Argentinian. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, so we, we ordered this case of Malbec wines from uh, Argentina, and they're fantastic. 
And um, I, my in-laws are in town and we went and had dinner with them and they poured a glass of wine. And I thought, well, I think when I'm on the show later tonight, I'm going to, I'm going to have some more wine. Um, and then uh, I, I have something I'll be switching to later in the interview. And I would love to share that with you. Uh, but in, until then, I will say uh, one thing about tea though, I don't know much about tea, um, but <clears throat> You know, my wife is Russian and culturally, um, it's just pretty much every day they have a tea time, just like I, I think a tea time is like a British thing, right? But um, I think the Russians have it too. They may not call it that, um, but she has tea basically every day. So I've started drinking tea too. Um, if I had known mm -hmm. that it was going to be a tea party, I might have shown up with some tea. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I had some tea today too. I drank a. I drank a, cause I'm, I'm a big tea nerd. That's actually what got me into like wine was like tea. Cause there's the similarities as far as like terroir, as far as like the earth and then just even flavor and aroma. And uh, so I had some like a uh, Himalayan black tea today, which was like really good. So, um, you know, I, I normally would have had a beer, but like I wanted to save it for the show and I didn't want to take a nap today. <laughs> yeah. So I had some tea. <laughs> uh -huh. Very nice. But, so, you know, we can, we can, we can have some tea next time, you know. What are you having tonight, though? Um, it is called Imagination Station by, by Bailbreaker Brewing in um, Washington, I believe. But this one is actually a collaboration with uh, my grocery store. Um, and it's a fresh hop IPA. That's cool. And um, so, you know, it's, it's uh, one of the hazy ones. You know, I've got to have the proper glassware, you know, for the aroma. Yeah. That's beautiful. Tastes better that way. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, big, but not too big, you know, mm -hmm. fruity with some citrus notes and a little grass to it. So it's, it's beautiful. Well, I, I'll get into that. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. I'm convinced that coffee and tea is also better with a cozy mug. So yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Your choice of mug is awesome. You what? Your choice of mug is awesome. Oh, I thank you so much. I think it's an appropriate size too for a, a Thank you. mug of tea. I have to agree. You know, I re recently was, um, I, I was with family and the, the cabin that we were staying in, the, the, the mugs that they had furnished at the place were like these little bitty, like they almost look like play teacups. Well, the reality is that that's what they used to be. Like, you know, like a coffee pot that says 12 cups. You're like, how in the world would anyone yeah. right mind consider that 12? Uh, well, that's what it used to be. <laughs> like 12 of those things would fit in there. I'm like, that well, might fill two and a half. Yeah, yeah sure. Right here. <laughs> yeah. So, sure, yeah. The times have changed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Clayton, you're on, man. All right. Well, um, so I guess let's kick it off as far as how did you and um, John meet? How did John and I meet? Well, it's a cute little story. I'll try to keep it short. And so we met on, actually, according to the 30 going, or 18 going on 30, we met on the perfect date, oh. April 25th, 2012. It wasn't too cold, not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. That's so <laughs> It was April 25th, 2012. Um, I um, had, it was in the Charlotte area, which is where I, we, you know, we still are now, but John had just moved here uh, from Nashville 
and um, just a, you know, a couple months before then, the month before. And I had moved to the Charlotte area the year before, um, where I had I, also from Tennessee, but I, I had graduated from, from college there. So I moved here. And I, I had been a member of a small group um, through, through actually through Elevation Church here. And I, I had a job at the time where I was just always there. I mean, I, I, I hadn't been able to attend my small group for a long time because I was just always working. It was really, really wearing on me. And it was just, yeah, I, I, so I decided, you know what, I haven't been back here ever to go and go if it's left you. So I had decided that that's what I was doing. Well, my first time back after several months was John's first time there because a friend of mine had met him through a business networking group. She invited him to come knowing he was new to the area. And so my first time there was his first or my first time back was his first time there. So the way, the way that the room was set up, I got there stupidly late. Um, but the way the room was set up is that, you know, it, it was like um, you go in the door and it's like this small room and like you, everybody saw me coming. There was no, there was no way around it. So John was over in the corner of the room and um, I came in and it was right before the closing prayer. And so whenever it was finished, the room, the only way to get out of the room to go like to say the kitchen or living area was to go right by me. And the, there was a big pool table over there. So John was over on the side. Well, everybody was, Yelling out, and they had me in forever. So they're like, "Hey, it's been so long. Haven't seen you in forever." So it was like a receiving line at a wedding or something, right? <laughs> and so everybody had gone through the line, if you will, and it was all huggy, huggy, huggy. And John happened to be the last person in the line. Well, nobody had introduced us, or like, no, nobody. You would think that somebody would turn around and say, "Oh, by the way, hey, this is John's first year." No, that didn't happen. So he he walks up and he's like. Hey, it's been so long. Haven't seen you in forever. And then, you know, so he gave the fest. That was our handshake, if you will, was a hug. And now he would jokingly say that I just never let go. Uh, here right now, like, no, I didn't exactly starfish him. But um, then it was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you, John Alexander. And so that's how we met um, on April 25th, 2012. And then we started dating officially in July. Uh, middle July um, of the same year, and then we were together ever since. Amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, That's my and so, birthday, by the way. You met on my wait, birthday. April 25th. April 25th. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, look there. <laughs> that, that's my mom's birthday, too. Well, it's a good day. Well, I think we all agree it's the perfect day. It's a good day. It's a good day. The perfect date. <laughs> so, so when did you two get married? We got married on May 24th, 2015. Okay. The day before Memorial Day that year. Okay. So mm -hmm. it, it was a, it wasn't a super long engagement, but I think. No, not super long. We had been, let's see, we got engaged November 27, 2013, and then got married about a year and a half later. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny because like I met my wife in November of 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, proposed in May of 2004 and then we got married in September of 2004. Nice. So when it's big decisions in my life, I apparently have no problem just doing it. But if it's like what record do I buy when I'm in the record store? Pontiac for a board. 
Oh, I'm the same way with a menu. Do not leave me alone with a menu for too long or else I, like you have to limit my options. Like the Cheesecake Factory menu, for example. Oh, too many options. Highly overwhelming, for, too overwhelming for me. <laughs> you know, I do the same thing. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it is sometimes. Mm -hmm. But sometimes whenever you know, you know. It just kind of, it just depends on the, the person and the situation and how you're feeling the Lord leading you in, in a particular time in your life. And that's, that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so after you guys got married, I, I guess it's like, and so you're, and so, um, John 2.0, he's five, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, actually, no, he's, I take that back. He's, um, he's six, six and almost a half. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when was it, I, I kind of want to try to kind of keep it moving to, you know, how you dealing with things and kind of whatnot. So why don't you get you know i want to get oh, to no worries. but um so when was it you know during your guys's marriage that um he found out that he was sick well it was let's see not quite three years in we found out so actually i'll, I'll tell you the I'll, I'll try to keep it to the bullet point version of it but january 23rd 2018 it was a normal day and, you know, we, we both ran a small business from home. So we were, we were home that day. It was a Tuesday. And, you know, Johnny was running around and, you know, doing whatever he was doing. And I, I think I was cleaning up for breakfast or what have you. So John was upstairs. He went to brush his teeth. And he used a tongue scraper. And so in order to use the tongue scraper, of course, naturally, you would stick your tongue out. So he went to do that, but he couldn't. And so uh, he kind of felt around and was trying to figure out what was going on. Well, then he called me upstairs and, um, you know, he asked, he said, you ready? I'm like, for what? So that's, I didn't know what, I had no, no this was in hand. And he had me feel on the floor of his mouth. And he, he asked me, he said, you feel that? I'm like, well, no, because there was nothing for me to feel. It was on the left side. And he moved my hand to the right. And that's whenever I felt a, what it, well, I usually describe it as like a, you know, one of the midgy Tootsie Rolls that uh, like the chubby ones, it was like one of those was like a half, you know, lengthwise and was buried in the soft tissue of the floor of his mouth between the base of his tongue and the back of his teeth. And of course that does not belong there. Um, and the second you find a mysterious lump, you know, that, that, that big ominous cloud just is there. You know, you don't want to think about it, but you can't help but think about the big C word. And so um, we tried to think of every other explanation for, you know, anything else that could be a clogged duct or an, infect an infected tooth or who knows what. Um, but we, we, of course, had to get it looked at. So this was, again, January 23rd, 2018. So this not two and a half in at the time. Um, so, you know, whenever you say your wedding vows, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, um, and, and sickness and in health, you mean them, yeah. and when you say them, and and yes, I mean you're you're prepared to weather them if that time comes, but you do not expect it, much less two and a half years in. Yeah. So, um, so we were we called around to some doctors' offices in the area, and we we got an appointment with an eye, ear, nose, throat specialist that same day. They had a cancellation. We went in, and he said, "Well." I can tell you right now, it's not an inflamed salivary gland. It's not an infection. You're, you're here for the right reasons. Like, 
your concern is not unfounded. And so um, he sent us across town for a CT scan, which they also don't do just automatically, but we got it that same day as well. He called us in the next day for a follow-up and they confirmed the presence of a five centimeter mass in the floor of his mouth in the submandibular gland area. It was also affecting some nearby lymph nodes. And so they did test what they office trying to get some biopsy results uh, like a needle prick biopsy they come came back as inconclusive but they thought it was a form of lymphoma they said we have to do a surgical biopsy to find out more to you know get something more definitive he had that done about a week later on january 30th of that year and they they came back with the preliminary results but they seemed more solid they said it appears to be something called diffuse large b-cell lymphoma which sounds very specific right Mm -hmm. yeah. sounds very like we know what this is right right sure. now that ended up not being the case because about a week later they said what we were you know trying to follow up with the path of treatment what, we, what the game plan right and they said well we, th we're not calling it a lymphoma anymore but we don't know specifically what to to call this now at this point you could have the day that we discovered it and this came out of nowhere you know a lot of people asked what the symptoms were there were none the symptom was the tumor that just showed up out of nowhere. And um, in amount of time, January 23rd to February 7th was when we first found this part out. So it was like a week and a half, like two weeks. It started to look like he had gotten hit in the face with a softball. Like mm -hmm. the, this, it was swelling, it was growing, it was starting to affect his speech. He started to sound like he had marbles in his mouth. Swallowing was a hard thing to do. And so um, anyway, they said, well, we're not sure what to call this because it's not behaving like any one particular family of cancers. But what we can tell you is that this thing is growing very rapidly and we need to take action. So what we suggest that you do is something called a mandibulectomy. It's where you have, they suggested this. And then he said it so matter-of-factly, what I'm about to tell you, which was to remove the lower right half of his jaw and replace it with a portion of bone from his shin, from the, the lower half of his leg, as well as reconstruct the floor of his mouth with a flap of skin from his leg. And um, they would put it all together by lining his jaw with a titanium plate, and the, eventually he would have, you know, plant stuff from calling. What? Like, <laughs> no. In the meantime, but then they said that was the first part. And then, of course, they usually do other follow-up treatments as well. So that was very, um, very enigmatic because it was a very drastic measure for something that they couldn't tell us specifically what it was. Um, but we had to do more testing in order to see if the cancer was anywhere else in his body because they could confirm that it was a malignancy. They just didn't know specifically what kind. Long story short, a week later, he had that test done and it was showing that it was traveling down his neck and again this is very rapid growth that was taking place at the time and um then on february 16th 2018 um they did not expect to get any different results but they somebody in the pathology lab had decided to send his his um slides off for some special scenes then it came and it's positive for nut midline carcinoma. And now they just call it nut carcinoma. Um, at the time of diagnosis, he was one of about 100, 100 to 150 patients in documented medical history. Wow. He was the first, yeah, he, he was the first person to have been diagnosed with it in the state of South Carolina, the third in the state of North Carolina. And he was the first person to be treated with it at Levine Cancer Institute in Charlotte. Um, the 
amount of research on this is extraordinarily limited. Um, even now it is, of course, they have you know, some other instances because it's a couple of years ago, but at the time it was only 40 to 50 patients that had all come from the same location, um, same pool of research, which was in, in Boston. And so, um, they, and then they told us the real numbers that the one that everybody wants to know survival statistics. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, we, they told us that day that the average survival was seven to nine months. And so this was half week after we first discovered anything was wrong to begin with. And it completely shook the ground from right from underneath of us. I mean, shook us to our core, as you imagine. So what do you do in that moment? So, um, you know, there, there's a response. I mean, we were documenting our journey, um, as, as we were trying to figure out answers. And that was to, I mean, you, Jamie, you kind of ping ponged around the country. John did the same thing. And yeah. so we, he had people, we had people everywhere, right? So I, I had lived in multiple places. He did as well. So we were, we were trying to give updates all in the same place. Yeah. And yeah. so actually this, this particular video um, was one that was recorded online because we were doing this on, on Facebook. And so, um, you, you could see his response where this is a man who was told that he had very likely, it was a 99% chance that he was going to have seven, nine months. And it's not necessarily to be a seven to nine months, physically speaking. Because it's, like, it's not like with cancer, you're told how much time you have, and then you can go skydiving, you go Rocky Mountain climbing. I mean, yeah, you might, <laughs> right, but right. Cancer, cancer is not pretty. No. It is not pretty. And a lot of, a lot of times, you know, you see that the treatment is awful. It is yes, but the cancer itself is vicious. And this is somebody who knew a lot of what likely was ahead of him. And he chose to very humbly say that he had tears coming down his face, but he wasn't, he wasn't afraid of, of dying. It was because he felt in that moment, like, Oh my gosh, all of his life decisions came back flooding to him. And he was concerned about whether or not he had lived his life in a way that, that was an act of gratitude towards God acting on in his life. So it was a long, um, deep explanation for how it was that we found out that John was sick, <laughs> but there you have it. Well, I want to jump in here if you don't mind. Um, you know, John and I were, I think, 25 days, 26 days apart or something in, in age. And uh, so we, I think we turned 29 around the same time. And we, I think we hoisted some pints at the pub together or something. And uh, I remember at that pub him saying to me, crap, I'm 29. I need to hurry up and live. And that that really resonated with me. I wrote that in my journal, like that same night. And I've reminded myself of that many times over the years. And of course that was, that was long uh, before he passed from this life. Uh, And it, it came to have a depth after that, that it didn't have before, but it certainly had that. Um, I I, want to ask, ask you something here. Um, not long after that diagnosis, I think you guys went to Mexico, didn't you? We did. We Tell did. me about that because I spoke with him when I was in Los Angeles while you guys were in Mexico. I think you guys were on the 
American side of the, the, the border. You were like a San Diego or something. And I had hoped to connect with you guys. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, you weren't there for sightseeing. Tell, tell me about No, that. no, we were not. So the reason we were there, um, okay, oh, well, I, I should go back and say that John, um, that, that day that we found out what it was, we, he had to start treatment like immediately because it, it was very rapidly growing. I mean, that tumor had more than doubled in size and it wrapped itself around his jaw in those, those three and a half weeks. So he had chemo, he had, sur he had that surgery I talked about, and then he was going to do some follow-up treatment. So I'm, I'm telling you all this because it, it ties directly into why we were in Mexico. So the, the, the nature of nut carcinoma, the nut capital and you have to translocated gene. It was like a reprogramming of his genetics that it, it created a new catastrophic signal within his body. And you could do every single treatment of standard West, Western medicine known to man, um, or you could do all alternative therapy that you want, but there, while it could eradicate every cancer cell within his body, there was nothing to correct the genetic component. Mm -hmm. And so statistically, it changed nothing, no matter what you did. So instead of just following up with very debilitating chemo and radiation, he decided that he was going to receive some, uh, to try the alternative therapy route. Now, he was hoping that it would be enough to throw something at it while maintaining his quality of life and his immune system. Um, and then also have a chance to live a little bit of life. And so we were hoping that he could do that. And then there was a clinical trial specific to nut carcinoma that was supposed to have been opening in the fall of that year, which it only did with some delay. Um, so hoping that he could buy some time and then participate in that. So that's why we went to Mexico. He went to Chipsa Hospital in Playa de Tijuana, Mexico. And the three of us, um, John, Johnny, and I, flew into San Diego, and then he was in, in Mexico. We, the three of us, stayed there for about two weeks or so. And then he had some alternative therapies. And it did, um, we don't know exactly what all it did within the body as far as the cancer was concerned, but we, I can tell you his quality of life improved because he had a lot of swelling and such that, that went down and he was able to eat a little bit better. So it improved some things in that regard. But unfortunately, it was insufficient as far as really fighting the cancer because we found out on our third wedding anniversary that it was back. Um, so we um yeah so that was tough so it was it was a pet skin that they did in in mexico and then they told us the results there was actually some new disease um appearing in the head neck area and then also he had a lesion to his hip so um that was new We're like well where did that come from so um from that moment what we did so we flew to california but then we drove back so we we oh, went wow. to go visit family up and down you know in California and then um he saw some family in in LA and unfortunately we weren't able to connect with you while we were there yeah. I think just barely just, missed each other just barely. missed each other yeah. um and then we we drove we went to the, the Grand Canyon we went to see some people in Phoenix we stopped to see some folks in Dallas and then finally we came back to the Carolinas and so that was a great trip yeah. that we all got to experience together and Johnny remembers it and so do I thank God Road yes, trips are very restorative. I mean, that's something that I've done as a family. Like we try to do a road trip every year. Like I, I go see a friend in Montana past couple of years. Um, it's just so good to be able to get out and then just even in being in that small <laughs> container of a car with your family, it's like mm -hmm. building memory together. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, for me, it's, it's 
one of the most beautiful things that we've mm-hmm. done, you know, because whether it's different road stops, you can be like, hey, remember when we stopped at that rest stop and, you know, mom almost got arrested, which happened. <laughs> um, ah. um, we, well, I'll, I'll tell the story real quick. Um, but we, we had stopped at a rest stop and this was actually not a great road trip because we were going to Eastern Oregon for my wife's uncle's funeral. And so we were taking um, her mom over there. Well, we got, we went to a rest stop and we were coming out and we saw two police officers. They looked at each other, saw my wife nodded and then walked over. Now my wife and my older sister, both of their names is Sarah. And so they have the same first and last name. So my sister had some warrants. And um, so the cops tried to like tell my wife, well, we have a warrant for your arrest. And she's like, no, you don't. <laughs> and so I gave them all the information. And this was the second time this happened. And so they oh, came back and like, oh, we're sorry. But like, you know, they, they asked me, they're like, hey, uh, are you a passenger? I'm like, well, yeah. And they're like, well, I'm gonna, we're going to need you to go sit in the car. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm also an owner of this vehicle and that's my wife. And I'm not going to just sit here while you try to like haul my wife off. <laughs> no, of course not. But, you know, the, the, <laughs> the memories like, like that, that we can look back on and be like, hey, remember the time. So road, road trips are road trips are good. They're good, you know. Oh yes, Johnny. Like I said, Johnny remembers it. In fact, John almost stepped on a scorpion whenever we had to stop at the side of the road for something. Oh. And Johnny remembers. He, it was a little one, but still, he's like, "Whoa, what in the world happened?" So actually, he he thought that he had, um, he thought he dropped his wallet somehow. He thought it fell out of the car. Well, it ended up kind of you know following you know down in like the, the between the seat and the door. But he had gotten out out and, and he looking something or whatever it was and that's where he almost stepped on a scorpion and johnny remembers when remember whenever daddy almost stepped on a scorpion yeah so that you know that left an impression on his little mind and johnny was only three at the time so yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i i want to i want to interject here um you know i I was disappointed um, that I didn't get to, to see you guys uh, at that time. And then obviously in hindsight later, uh, it, it was like, ah, oh, you know, but for me, one of, one of the confusing things was, um, you know, John had such confidence in, in life and such confidence in the mercy of God mm-hmm. that those early videos, um, I got the wrong message from it. I actually thought initially the diagnosis was no big deal and that this was just something you guys were going to go through and get through. And, you know, looking back, it was very foolhardy of me to even treat any part of life like that. And we were so close. It would have been so amazing. And I, you know, I don't lay awake at night going, gosh, if I'd only stayed in Los Angeles an extra two days or whatever it might have been, but it is a sobering reminder that, You know, in this life, uh, we, we don't know when someone's last day will be, and we don't know when our last day will be. And so mm-hmm. we want to make the most of, of the moment right now, you know. Oh, absolutely. And that's something that, um, you know, and, and I don't fault you for that, neither. John wouldn't either, you know. Um, and, and he wanted people to have a positive outlook. Now, I mean, the yeah. thing is, though, I mean, like, we, we knew full well and we fully acknowledged what the earthly statistics were and the likelihood of things happening the way that they said that they 
would. Um, now, we never lost hope that God, we knew God could and maybe he would supernaturally heal him, um, of course, but also the impression is me too, that, um, you know, God is good regardless of the outcome. And it's just important, just as important for us to acknowledge and submit to and accept his sovereignty just as much as we do his love and what he can do in our lives. Yeah. And so he, he acknowledged that very humbly. I mean, um, of course he was, he was hoping both of us were, you know, we were desperately crying out to God to intervene. He did in a number of ways, but they weren't in the physical sense, but through that experience, um, it, it, and, and John would be of the same impression too, is that a lot of times people will choose not to say, spend time with people, you know, maybe it requires a little bit more energy to spend time with certain individuals in your life. I'm um, not, not you specifically, but just in general, <laughs> you know, um, stay away from Chen Jay. He's a lot of work. <laughs> no, I mean like say, say in-laws or sometimes there are just some family members. Well, where, while we love them again, they require a little bit more, more energy and a little bit, a little bit more effort in order for us to spend time with them. Um, and sometimes just the, just the thought of it can drain you. And so you're like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll catch up with them next time. Assuming that we have a next time. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that you should always live on like, oh, I better do this because I might not have another chance. But in, the, in a small sense, I am giving that sobering, sobering reminder that you know what there there might not be so i would encourage anybody listening to not if you're going to choose to not engage with certain individuals at a certain time do it because you have real legitimate reason not because you simply don't feel like it now sometimes that's okay i get it but if you truly could sit back and get outside of yourself for a second be like you know what you really could go over to so-and-so's house for whatever or you, you could give a, a little bit of extra time and, you know, maybe not take your, your nap, maybe not scroll on media for an extra 15 minutes or more, or what have you. I mean, I've been guilty of this kind of thing myself. And there may come a time where it, the reminder that it takes is not this conversation right now. The reminder might be whenever you find out that you don't have another opportunity with that person because they're no longer with us. Yeah. It's That's a sobering true. reminder. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So don't just always assume that there's a next time because there might not be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's something, um, even just watching, you know, our streamed church service today, having that, um, you know, remembrance of death and not necessarily in a morbid sense of having this fascination with it, mm -hmm. but realizing that like, you know, eventually that time is going to come. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we don't know, we don't know when that's going to be for each individual. And, exactly. you know, so what's like, okay, like, am I holding this grudge? You know, is it, can I, you know, can I ask for forgiveness or close that gap? Like all those things relationally that we, you know, sometimes we hold on to and think, oh, I'll have tomorrow, mm -hmm. but you know, maybe we won't. And we don't know, you know, and I think, you know, it's like my, you know, my, my wife's father, like he just dropped dead of an aneurysm, you know, like mm -hmm. it was just like that. There was no signs of it, you know? Um, so it's like, there's certain things where like, you know, I've had family members pass away, um, 
you know, just through poor health. And so it was a constant declining thing. So you could kind of see it, there were signs, but, you know, but then there's, you know, there, you know, I've had, you know, family members just die in car wrecks. And so I would tend to teeter totter as far as like, okay, you know, I gotta, I gotta live healthy, take care of myself. And then I would go the other way as far as like, well, we don't know when we're gonna die. I gotta live every day. Like it's my last, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's kind of sometimes that, that balance of both as far as mm-hmm. like, you know, we're not promised tomorrow, but at the same time, like, um, mm-hmm. let's do the best with what we have, what we've been given. Absolutely. And I, I know for me in right now, um, you know, and I've talked to Jamie about this a little bit too, but like, I have a sister-in-law who, you know, she's dealing with cancer as well. Mm. And, uh, she found out the same way. It was just feeling a lump, you know, mm. and then went and get it checked out. And then it turns out it's, it was endometrial. Mm. And, um, so, you know, right now we're in that stage of, of, praying, you know, hoping and things. Um, but, you know, thank God we have our whole family together, you know, and yeah. that's, that's really what's been really nice as far as like every day, I'm just like, be grateful for this and tell those people you love them, you know? Absolutely. So the best pieces of advice I've ever heard somebody, uh, uh, a director of a youth leadership camp I've gone to for a number of years, his name's Dave Smith. And he would always say that never pass up the opportunity to tell the ones you love that you do. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's a good reminder, you know, because that's one thing. I mean, like I, I would, I've, yeah, I mean, like with, like with my parents or something, like even rushing off the phone, even if it's super fast, like, okay, thank you. Love you too. Bye. You know, I still mean it whenever I say it, but you know, if something happens, I mean, I'm not saying you always want to make decisions and always say that out of fear. I'm not saying right. that, yeah, yeah. but at least giving just that little bit of just, even if it's the tiniest little bit of effort in addition to what you would have done without thinking about it before, just, just to be cognizant of that type of thing. And I think what you were saying a moment ago, as far as tempering, um, living life as though, you know, it might be your last day, you know, live every, every day the fullest and, you know, as though it might be your last to some degree, I think you're right, but I would say that the important factor with that is to have the condition of your heart be prepared as though it would be your last day. Yes, yes. That's the important thing is that if you have unfinished business within your heart and your deadline passes and you didn't even know it was coming, then, then, then that's a sad situation. So one of the things that John was really impressing upon people was to get your house in order, man. And I'm not talking about your actual housekeeping of where you live. I'm talking about where your spirit lives. That's what he was talking about. Get your heart, get your heart, get your house in order. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, take care of that stuff because that is going to like one, the Lord will not hear your prayers the same way. If you're harboring unforgiveness, um, not just that, but I mean like that, that will decrease your, that will decrease your lifespan. I mean, not just that, but it kills your spirit. So you don't want to live your life in such a way so that your spirit dies while your body lives. You want to live your life in such a way that when your body dies, your spirit lives. And one of the ways to do that is to let go of the petty garbage that you might hang on get some rubbed you the right once a time. Now I'm not making light and saying trite, you know, trite little platitudes for like deep hurt. I understand that there is deep hurt out there. I understand that there are, that there is indescribable pain that other people have heaped upon somebody else's heart. But I, there is somebody listening right now or at another time 
that they need to realize that that has not, that that person and how they hurt you is not going to stand before the father when that day comes. Whenever God is asking you and, and having a conversation with you about your heart, he's not going to want to hear about what this person did to you. Like this person, this person, this person. No, no, no. What did Adam and Eve do? He said that woman. Blame. Yep. Blame. No. Personal responsibility. No. If you choose to not forgive somebody, it is not the other person's fault. And I'm not trying to place blame, but I, what I'm saying is that like, there's a, there's a, a quote out there that says if you, if you're unforgiveness, refuse, to somebody poison to hurt the other person yeah and that's exactly what it is i mean like it, it allows seeds of bitterness to to go deep into your soul and then take root and not just that but it it, it cripples your reach and so i mean like that's an illustration I'll, I'll go into here in just a minute as far as the dandelion is concerned um uh, you know I, I can talk about that here in a minute but i don't know if you guys have any other thoughts you want to piggyback on that no go go for it yeah yeah go go we do not want to get in your way <laughs> oh, well, thank you. i'm just you know just just i'm just i'm not trying to steamroll over here but um you know there are a number of things so um whether it's just death in general and that can be death of a person it could be dealing with death of of, of an ability in your life, it could be the death of a job or of a hobby or of, um, of a relationship in your life. A lot of times, you know, it loss in general. We all encounter time and where we are going to reconcile what it feels like to lose something. And the question is, if the very thing that puts wind in your sails ceases to exist, are you going to be okay? And if the answer to that is no, whether it's a person, if it's a spouse, if it's your job, if it's a title, if it's the ability to speak, or if it's the ability to do something that you absolutely love, if suddenly tomorrow that was gone and your reason for living, you feel it's gone with it, then we need to reevaluate something here. Because like I said, you don't want to live your life and have your heart be in such a way that if you don't want your, you don't want your spirit to die while your body lives. Because what happens is that, um, like John, I mean, Jamie, I'm sure John shared this story with you whenever he, he tried to take his own life, whenever he was 22 years old, because his first, I was, I was his third wife, surprise, surprise, but, um, <laughs> his, um first wife, and he, he, like his reason for living was gone. He felt like his heart was like, was, was, was dead inside of him. And he learned through that lesson. I'm not going to go into the whole story right now, but he learned through that lesson to not have your reason for living be tied up to something else in this world, because there will come a time where that could again cease to exist. And this is where I want to tell you about the, the illustration of a dandelion, because see a dandelion, it was a theme that kind of just kept popping up. Well, we were going through our journey and I don't, we don't need to go into the whole thing, but it just kept popping up. And I was like, Lord, what is the point of this? because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, at the time, John was thinking maybe it could be a, a method of having some holistic pain relief, right? Well, it didn't do anything for pain relief physically, but I was thinking about like, gosh, what is the purpose of all this? So I'm thinking about the other day and dandelions, they usually in their life cycle, they typically, you typically see them dead, if you will, in one of two One is see artsy looking like the fluffy kind that looks like this hold on you typically see it when it looks like this 
fully, you know, fluffy and cotton ball-y and very, you get that satisfying, whew, I don't want to blow it because I want to preserve it. But it all, whenever you blow it, the seeds scatter into the wind and it's, you know, like in Beauty and the Beast, you know, I, I've got so much more than they've got planned and the seeds blow <laughs> up into the wind like that, right? So there's only one way that those seeds that can, can scatter the most effectively, right? So they also die like this. Now, you see this? You see the bud all yeah, dried up now? You can see, I, I should narrate here for those who are experiencing this only on audio. Yes, uh -huh. yes. She is holding a dandelion with all of the, I don't know what you would call them, but all of the things. All the puffiness. The puffiness. <laughs> and and that was probably clear from her description. But then the other one has none of the puffiness. Exactly. So you've got some that are closed up like a clamshell. Right now, even on this one, you can see that the seeds, the fuzzies are there, but they're held down in. And not only that, but you can even see, you can see the, the yellowness is still there, but it's just all clammed up, right? Now you wanna know something? These dandelions that I am holding in my hand right now came from the same root. They were exposed to the same elements they were exposed to the same weather conditions. They were exposed to the same, you know, lawn care. And they endured the same amount of pain, the same hardships, the same difficulties, the same loss. One continued to bloom and blossom and its seeds are positioned and they are postured in such a way so that they can be carried out in the wind. They can and fertile soil. We don't know where. We don't know when. We also don't know how many other dandelions that will come for each one of those little seeds that are postured to be spread. But this one, though it endured the exact same elements, are not postured the same way because whatever happened in this dandelion's life, it chose to die before it died. It allowed its spirit to die while its body lived. Its stem still had life in it. And because it chose to do that, I'm personifying it, if you will, its seeds are not postured in such a way that the very last breath that it breathes can scatter its seeds. Because the heartache that we go through can be the very thing that speaks life into somebody else who's through something similar. You might even just be looking to you to see how you respond to it. You see, John's last word on this earth was Yeshua. Now, for those who aren't familiar with that, that's the Hebrew name of Jesus. That was the last word that he uttered before he, you know, it wasn't like right before he passed away, but it was, you know, in like the, the last 30 minutes or so before he breathed, breathed his last. And he didn't know it, but that was the single most impactful moment that he had on me in the whole of the time that I knew him. And this was a man who had every earthly reason to curse God, chuck the deuces up at God and say, how, how, could, you, how could you do this to me? How could you, how, how could you forsake me? He didn't. He had lost every ounce of independence. He looked completely different than, than the way that you had met him, than the way I met him. But his last word was, and 
sometimes, sometimes things happen in your life. I'm not saying this was the only reason in John's, but sometimes things happen in your life in such a way that the purpose is for somebody else to see how you respond. Maybe all it takes is for them to hear one name that you say. And that points you to the very one who can heal anything and everything at the heart level. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you left the chatty podcasters uh, without words. <sighs> I'm a little chatty myself. Oh. Well, it's fine because you, you kind of took my next question, which, you know, was, you know, through all of this, did this ever make you question your faith or even angry at God because of what was happening? Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't ever say that I was angry with God, but oh, I asked my questions. Yeah. You know, like, God, why? I mean, why? why? You say that all it takes is, a, is, a, is faith the size of a mustard seed in order for us to say this mountain be moved from here to there and it will move. Why? I mean, we, 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 we exercised some faith, Lord. You know, I mean, what was it? What, did I lose the game at, the, at, the, at a carnival where you have, like, you know, you have the hammer and you smack it down and, you know, it, it goes up and you ring the bell. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Here's your prize. Did I just not have enough faith to ring the bell? Like, and if that's the case, then why in the world does your word say that I just need faith the size of a mustard seed? Like, I don't understand. Why did you not move the mountain? I was so desperately crying out for you to move. Yes. I've, I've asked that question. And what learned is that the things happened the way that they did because sometimes, you see, with mountains from our perspective, Whenever we are, are, are encountering a mountain in our life, we see it like this, like straight out in front of us, right? And the way to move the mountain for us would be to either push it out of the way or to dig it out of the way, right? Well, God, while he was fully human, while he was here on earth and he understands that perspective, he is up above it. He sees it from a, like a bird's eye perspective, if you will. And the mountains don't look like mountains to him. They look like chess pieces, and he can see the mountains that need to move and the mountains that need to stay put. He also understands the great tapestry that are the great and marvelous works that are part of his plan that our lives are a part of. And he understands that the condition of our heart matters more than the condition of our bodies. He understands the mountains that are necessary in our lives so that our hearts can be postured to be made the most effective for the kingdom of God. And that's what was happening in John's life. You see, this is a hard thing to really swallow. But if John's life, and I know he would agree with me right here, right now, if he, if he was in this room. If what happened in John's life is the very thing that it would take for his life to be made most effective for the kingdom of God, that he would choose that in 39 years, I'm sorry, 38 years, then he would 90 years. If he were to live the other, the, the other 60, however many years, and not really make that much of an impact 
in the hearts of others for Christ. He would choose the first. And me, if I had to like, you know, if I had to submit to is that if this is what it takes for my life to be made more effective for the kingdom of God, than 50 years of matrimony with John here on this earth, then guess what? That's part of our calling is to bear our cross in humility and submission to Jesus, knowing that he is good, he is faithful, and he is enough. You see, as Christians, it is so vitally important that we accept and acknowledge and submit to God's sovereignty in our lives just as much as we accept his love. Yes, he made us in his image. Yes, he loves us. We are sons and daughters, and we are heirs of a glorious inheritance. Absolutely. But that does not mean that he owes us an explanation for every single thing that happens in our life. Because he owes us a total of things already given us the one thing that we need that we could never earn and if that is the one thing that we get and nothing else improves in our life then we still have everything that's so good so right no thank you no more than my own it's just kind of whatever the Lord is putting on my heart to share. So. <laughs> I'm just the mouthpiece. I, I was, uh, I want to jump in here real fast. Um, so I talked to my mom uh, earlier today. You know, one, one of the reasons uh, beyond simply my friendship with John being so dear to me, uh, you know, one of the things that made uh, his loss, I think, go to the the core of my heart is, you know, I was about Johnny's age when my dad died. And, mm -hmm. you know, my mom had to sort through a lot of, a lot of difficult things. And so she knew all about this situation. I've talked to her many times about, about this. And um, actually I've talked to my therapist many times about this. In fact, uh, just cause it, you know, it, it, it cut into me in a way uh, that helped me see some, you know, some things I hadn't really dealt with in my own journey. Um, and it's, it, it's probably going to be for Johnny, you know, uh, a lifetime of sorting out some of this too. Um, but it sounds like, you know, you, you've done a really good job of, of helping him grow through this. But for, for, my, for my mother, one of the things I, I wanted to know was like, you know, what, what were the, the first holidays like? without your husband and as a mother as well. And, you know, she said it was very difficult. And I, she actually, I didn't know this. Um, I mean, I probably knew it at the time, but I was so young, I've forgotten. Uh, her mother came and stayed uh, Christmas Eve uh, because mm -hmm. she couldn't imagine waking up Christmas morning without her husband and being able to create any sort of joy for her children. And so grandma came over and stayed the night so that that could happen. Um, You've, you've now, you, you've gone through the holidays twice now. The first time was probably extremely difficult because it was so fresh. And the second time was probably also extremely difficult, but in a different way. And now you're approaching another set of holidays. Take me, take us into that and help us understand, you know, how, 
how you've handled the holidays and what it's been like for you, if you don't mind. Oh, I don't mind. I don't mind one bit. Um, you're, you're exactly right. This is the third holiday season that we're going into where it's just Johnny and me. Um, and, and the first go around was, let's see, so John, John passed away um, on so it was It was just a little, little over eight months from the date that we got the diagnosis. And um, we got through Thanksgiving and it, I remember it didn't really hit me. I was okay. You know, that day, I mean, my mom, my parents came down here for Thanksgiving. Um, actually before I had gone and, you know, I kind of kept myself distracted. I, I surrounded myself with some family and friends. And so, um, but my parents came back down to South Carolina. I mean, the day I, I, I remember being in the kitchen, my mom and I were, you know, making different whatever we were making and and we had you know the holiday inn and white christmas playing on the background i know i'm i'm one i i refuse to put christmas decorations up before thanksgiving except for i have this this poinsettia mug (laughs) but i will put on christmas movies in the background because it's like okay it's acceptable now you know tomorrow basically i work in retail so i get that (laughs) yes i just i don't i don't like it i love christmas i mean call me bud of the elf i love decorations absolutely but i it's to not skip over the holiday that we're meant to be celebrating being thankful because gratitude is a big thing so don't skip over being thankful guys um so anyway so and and i i mean i was kind of distracted and so it didn't really hit me on thanksgiving until we sat down to eat and um across the table where John had been the previous Thanksgiving, no indication that anything was even ahead of us. Like, I mean, the previous Thanksgiving, everything was normal. There was no indication anything was wrong at all. At all. And it had been an arduous year, um, you know, in 2018 that year. I mean, like I said, even on New Year's, there was no inkling that anything was wrong. And so whenever I looked across the table and as I, I think maybe my mom was sitting there at, at the time, I can't remember, but it wasn't John. Yeah. And it was, it was just like a reality, you know, that just kind of hits you in the face. And I want to say something here for a moment is that um, th- this is something that for anybody who's, who's grieving and I'll, I'll, this, this, this relates back to the question, but let me time out for one quick second <laughs> is that, um, there were times even early on where I would catch myself enjoying the moment, whether it be, you know, enjoying the small thing of white Christmas or something that was funny or whatever. Um, And I would feel myself genuinely enjoying that moment, but then quickly snapping out of it because of a feeling of guilt. Like, how could I, Mm. how could I possibly be smiling right now? How can I possibly feel jovial? You know, I mean, or even later on, you know, as time went by and, you know, it, and, and it would get a little bit, the would be a little bit heavy. Um, where I would catch myself again feeling joy, sometimes I would feel guilty. Because it's like I said, this person isn't here to enjoy this moment. I mean, like they would want me to feel bad. Like, how could I? How, no, 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 no. I had to realize that, you know what? The greatest gift that you can give to those loved ones who have gone before you is to allow them to see you bloom. So going back to that dandelion illustration, you know, 
what's what's one of the things that everybody does a customary thing whenever there's a death in the family is to send flowers right or to put flowers on graves those are cut stems right why not be a living flower to commemorate and i'm not saying live your life for the ones who've gone before you i'm not saying but like you know it's as far as this illustration bear with me for a moment it's like to allow the ones who you right. love so much that you think about often to look down and see you bloom yeah let them see your blossom don't let the you know, don't, don't block captive. Because you know, like I said, there were times where I, I would snap out of it. So there's freedom in continuing to live because they would want to see you live. Right. Um, so I just want to say that. So going back to holidays, um, it was it was a little bit easier than I thought it was going to be while still exceedingly difficult. Yeah. It was still easier than I thought because there were a lot of like the distractions of the funness of the holidays. And now I know it, it depends on the dynamics of the family of what traditions are like. See John, I mean, he, he wasn't Ebenezer Scrooge and he wasn't <laughs> rich, but he didn't get into Christmas the way that I do. Like I said, call me buddy. The Elf. So it wasn't quite the same. Like I was the one who would usually do all the things Christmassy wise. He was just kind of, you know, along for the ride. He would participate. Yes. But, you know, he wasn't like Santa, you know. So anyway, so that was, it, it wasn't like Santa was no longer with us anymore. You know what I mean? Um, but it was January that was hard. Mm. That was the most difficult for it. It was after the most wonderful time of the year was done. And now it was 12 months away. And that time of year is already kind of gloomy and gray and depressing as it was. And the Christmas decorations get put away. And then the next things to look forward to for me were my birthday and Valentine's Day. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the hard part for me personally, but, sure. um, it was still hard to see, you know, couples pairing off with their holiday cheer and, um, engagement season. And, uh, it, it, it was hard seeing all that. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it was, I, I, it was that, that experience really kind of opened my eyes and see the hardships we go to greatly increase your capacity to empathize with people because oh. while it was a little bit easier in that sense of like I said, it wasn't like our churches were like, um, I can understand how that would be the case for a lot of families and how, you know, I, I, it opens your eyes to really pay attention to things differently than you would say, for example, have yourself a merry little Christmas. There's a really silly line in that song. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the old tiger. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. According to who? <laughs> Just because the Merry Little Christmas is here just doesn't mean your troubles are going to be miles away. If anything, they might be that much more paramount in your life because you're feeling lonelier than you would normally. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes there's just silliness out there where it sticks out to people just a little bit differently because of what they've just experienced. So it, it also, it made me realize, you know, to, not to get caught up in all the things that we all do in that time and it's a busy time of year yeah but it's pay attention you know especially in the age where you got people wearing masks stop and don't be afraid to look people in the eye and if there's something behind there that says that person kind of looks like they maybe you're hurting just smile maybe pay them a compliment 
Yeah. Maybe saying that, you know, you, you just something, I don't know, you just have the most beautiful eyes or, or your hair looks great or something, I don't know, yeah. something that makes them feel seen. Yeah. Because for all we know, they are just barely holding it together at the most wonderful time of the year. That is the most painful time of the year for them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I've got a question for is, uh, you know, people don't always know how to handle grief. Um, and, and particularly when they see someone they care about, whether it's a friend or family member, they don't necessarily know how to speak to that person. And I'm sure you've heard both crappy things and excellent things, um, mm-hmm. but all well-meaning. What yes. were the things that were the most helpful that people did or said for you in the aftermath of losing John? Thank you so much for asking that question. Cause I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't realize that they need to hear. Yeah. Um, death is a very uncomfortable topic because I mean, none of us have done it. So nobody's truly familiar. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and then only those who have danced with it by experiencing loss great loss in their life. That's the closest thing to it. And so it's like, hi, you know, fumbling over their words. You don't know what to say because truly there's nothing that you can say or do that can take the pain away. You can support in such a way that makes that pain and the burden easier to bear. Yeah. You can, you can, will. Um, but there are things that you can say and do that can add to the pain and make the pain worse. So um, the important thing for, for me, I mean, there, there are so many dear, 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 dear people who, again, they come from their, their, the intent of their heart is what I care the most about. Um, and they come from a place of, of, you know, of meaning well. And there are a lot of, you know, wonderful, lovely things that people said, you know, deepest sympathy. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Absolutely. You know, I, no, no, no complaints. Um, but the one, the one thing that was occasionally said to me was, I know how you feel. Mm. Right. And Eve, okay, let me put it this way even if somebody had lost the same role in their life does not mean that they know how I feel. And I'll give you an example. Me losing my husband after years at the stage of life that I'm in, I I was 29 years old whenever he passed away. That's a different state of life than somebody who had lost their husband after 40 years of matrimony and they're going in their golden years. We may have lost the same role in our life, but I do not know how that woman feels. Yeah. That is vastly different. Or even somebody in the same age, the same, let's say we were married, same three and a half years, three and a half years, 29 years old, 29 years old, small children, small children, same everything. But the, <clears throat> the way that the loss occurred, freak accident versus nine months, even that is vastly different. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know how that feels. So I understand that it's them trying to relate in, in a way. Right. Um, I understand that they're trying, they're trying to empathize, but that means being cognizant of, of what is it you're saying, because things carry different weight whenever in a kit. Yeah. It means something altogether different. 
um, your, 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 the soil of your heart is that much more penetrable. Yeah. And you want the right seeds to stick. So you could say the same thing without saying those words, if you will. So you could say, instead of saying, I know how you feel, because at that time you're like, there's no way you could possibly know how I feel right now. There's no way. <laughs> like, no, you don't know. The circumstances could be different. But if you could say, you know what, I, I experienced the loss of my husband. I understand how great the pain is. Sure. That's different. I mean, that's saying essentially the same thing, but it's not saying the same thing. Right. That's right. acknowledging without saying it that there are differences in our circumstances. I, I, you know, I experienced great loss before, you know, even if I, I lost my spouse this way, I, I understand that the pain is just indescribable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's important. Things like that to say. Um, and then other thing that would that I was before people would memories like one of the most painful things, not because I truly feel that people forgot, but there comes a time whenever the, the shock wears off, the dust settles, life goes back to normal mm-hmm. for people who didn't live through it. But there is no normal after that. It is a completely total new normal that those who are going through the loss are having to now navigate and, and become accustomed to. And so the feeling of that person in a way being forgotten, mm-hmm. that is really difficult. So if you think about the person, like let's say someone who didn't experience like this, like let's say, you know, of the loss of an immediate family member or spouse. If you think about them, tell them. Mm-hmm. Like I was just thinking about a really great day, you know, really funny memory or, you know, just something John said, something that was hysterical, whatever it made me laugh. Um, or I just tell you friendship to me or something, something silly. It could be something serious. It could be impactful or whatever, but just to know that, that you remember them, not that, not that we think that people just forget as though we didn't exist, but it can feel like people don't know what to say or do. So they, they, and they also don't want to upset, upset me. So it's almost like they pretend that didn't happen, but that's worse than actually saying something that acknowledges that you remember. Yeah. 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 No, that, that totally makes sense. And I, I will say, you know, I've struggled um, in, in that regard when, uh, you know, a friend loses someone or, or like in this case where my friend passed and while I'd spent time with you, I'd been a house guest with you and everything, but you and I hadn't had a chance to truly cultivate a, a direct friendship. Uh, so I, I've, you know, I've struggled with, because I think about John often and like, uh, and especially early on after, uh, after he passed from this life, it was very difficult for me to know what, what do I do with this when I think about him and in what way can I reach out to Alexandra and talk about it? And, you know, I think it was even just a few weeks ago, how we started the conversation to have this, you know, I sent you some memories, uh, and some things that, that made me think of John. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I greatly appreciate and also don't feel like I'm not faulting you for any of this because it's this, this is uncharted territory for so many people, myself included. And it's only because I've gone through it myself that I can tell you these things. I mean, I, I would have known, but, um, I, I can tell you right now, you know, like grace be upon anybody and everybody who might hear this yeah. and knew John personally or knew me or like, Oh my yeah, goodness. I was one of those grace and forgiveness be upon anybody who feels like they fit that category. Sure. You know, I say this with love in my heart and I say this so that you can now 
be equipped with some tools where there will come a time in your life where you somebody lost and now you have a little bit more that i hope you can you know think back on and hopefully be a hidden balm to somebody else's heart instead of maybe just a little bit of a bite um that you might be remembered for the wrong way yeah yeah for the wrong so, reason so on, on on that note i actually have a, a fun memory uh of john and i brought a special <laughs> beverage for this um it's did you it's in a terrible brown bag um <laughs> Which which ought to give you an indication on what a quality beverage is inside of this. I have an idea. I think I think I might know what it is, but I, I'm going to wait and see. Well, well, maybe guess. Do, do, Grandma, Grandma Yay. No, no, it's not even that nice. Natty Light. Oh. <laughs> did, did he ever tell you about me and the Natty Light? No, but he would. He didn't like. I know he didn't like it. Yeah, you know why he didn't like it? Why didn't he like it? Because he spent a night recording with me and doing beer bongs of the Natty Light. Uh, I don't know that he had ever done a beer bong before, and I guarantee you he never did a beer bong afterward. <laughs> I never knew of him never doing one. <laughs> so I, I had um, this beer bong, and it wasn't even really a beer bong. Like, I went down to AutoZone, and I bought, like, a funnel for, like, doing oil or something. I don't know what it was for. Um, but I used it to, you know, you load it up with a beer and you drink the beer as fast as you can. You just shotgun a beer like you're taking a shot of, uh, of liquor. I don't know. It was a rush. I thought it was fun, you know, <laughs> um, and, and you could do a few of these while recording and it like, I don't know, it was just dorky and fun. And so shortly before I moved away from Tennessee to Hawaii, uh, I had him over to record a verse on uh, my song, Tennessee Tiki. And oh, yes. I talked him into, you know, doing some beer bongs with the Natty Light. We had a blast. We recorded all night. I thought he nailed his vocals. I just, yeah. I thought it was, you know. an old school like an Atari. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh -huh. That's the and only line I know from it. We, we, oh, and it's a catchy line, too. So, we, I mean, we just had a great time that night. And really the whole point was to, re, you know, record his vocals. But, you know, taking the beer bong and you got to take a break when you're drinking like that. And so I, I have a picture. If I can ever find it, I'll send it to you. But I got this great picture of him on like a pink beanbag chair with my big <laughs> Baxter. And it was definitely toward the end of the night. You know, he was really relaxed. He was laughing and having a good time. Well, the next day... Uh, he told me that he was not too happy with me for talking him into that beer bottle. And he said he would never touch Natty Light again. And I am not sure we ever had at least an in-person conversation after that without making a few Natty Light jokes. I'm also not sure I've ever had a Natty Light since that night, but I'm having one tonight in his honor. So here's the on memory eternal Let's drink some Natty Light, you know, and tea and whatever else we're drinking. <laughs> okay, this is the last dance. Come on, everyone, let's go. 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 Let's
all you want is just so amusing At the barbecue, trying to holler at this cutie named Susan Some call her Susie Q, looking in the baby blues Leaving my confused while she's standing in the Daisy Dukes And every guy she gave a new was stuck on her like crazy glue But now this dude, cause you know I don't wanna play that fool Wise men say that only fools rush in The Bible tells me all that I'm doing is lusting Like gambling and roulette, like I'm rushing I gotta fight my flesh, I can't make it accustomed To sing cause all those wages do is lead to death This summertime, Jay Quest is trying to catch his breath Well, uh, on, on that, on that note i think i want to start wrapping things up um mm -hmm. i i think it would actually be nice to have you on again uh in the future because i think you have a lot of grace and a lot of wisdom and i think we can go more in depth into your story either this this or your story uh, broader than this and okay. i think and i think there'd be a lot to share i guess okay. we could give her a crew member that's right <laughs> yeah crew member that's right on the ship well, thank you. That, that would be my honor. Um, it, it really does. It give it gives me, it does, it, it brings me great joy, you know, to share of, of goodness and faithfulness in our lives and in, in the way that the, the tidbits I've been able to learn from this, you know, um, and if I can share my heart in such a way that it can help at least, you know, somebody else, one, even if it's one person out there, then it's an honor. Um, and it, it makes everything that we experience that much more purposeful. So I would be glad to. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Do, do you have uh, anything on social media you'd like people to check out? Sure. Um, I, I'm, you know, continuing sharing my journey and, you know, people can see everything that happened before. And then some of the things that, that the Lord has put on my heart after on, um, on Facebook on, as the Candid Craigs. Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe the name at some point will change, but for now it's the Candid Craigs. Yeah. Um, on, on Instagram, I'm Alexandra Craig 524 if you want to find me that way. But um, TikTok is where I shared, because um, it's like up to 60 second videos. And so I, I've kind of put together a number of, of tidbits of, you know, just, just little things that, like I said, God has kind of put on my heart to share. Yeah. of it I related to some of it as just, you know, nuggets that the Lord has impressed upon my heart that have really helped me in the healing process. Um, so my, my username on there is Alexandra underscore hope underscore Craig, Alexandra hope Craig. Nice. Um, so that's that. And then, um, Oh, and, and I, I, I didn't really touch much on this, but John wrote a song. You talk about, you know, kind of recording stuff. He did write a song um, that actually he wrote it about 10 years ago. And um, we were can able we, to have can it. Can we play that on the episode or play a snippet? Yeah, like right, right here, right now. Like, yeah, like uh, at the, end on the show. One. Can we put it on the show itself? Uh, oh, of course, of course. Okay. So of tell, course, tell us about course. it. Yeah, I'll tell you about that real quick. So, um, so John had written the song. It's called "Great and Marvelous," and he he wrote this whenever he was in Nashville. Like I said, it was around 2011, I think. 2010. It was about 10 years ago. And the words come. They're by and part, you know, directly from Revelation 15. And so it's the song of Moses. And um, so anyway, so he had um, taken a lot of the words verbatim, but some of it was changed to fit melodically into the song. Sure. And he wrote the words in a melody. Now, he created, he recorded a rough version of it um, early on. It was just, you know, kind of like a demo type, but it was still great. Um, and he wanted to release it in his lifetime, but he didn't get that far. But he considered that to be his magnum opus, his life's greatest work. And he felt like if that was the one thing that he was able to offer this world, then that if that's what God gave him to do to offer the world that would you know, touch people's hearts and glorify God, then, then 
that is it. And so after John had passed away, now actually, let me tell you this, and I'm kind of going back to where um, he said his last, where I said his last word was Yeshua, the last name that he said, was in the time that was leading up to his we had been playing the song that he had written and um and he was in his weak feeble state singing along with and believing with every fiber of his being the words of that song which are great and marvelous are your works lord god almighty righteous and true are your ways king of the nations who will not fear O lord but glorify your name for you alone are holy and worthy of all praise and, and again, I mean, you, you heard a good bit of how he was like, um, and so I, I won't go into all that, but um, that was the posture that was him saying Yeshua whenever he was singing along with those. It was almost like he wanted to see what he was seeing, or he wanted us to see what he was seeing whenever he said Yeshua. But um, after he passed away, some good friends of ours, um, so Sanchez Fair produced it, and Laura Landon, the vocalist who sang it originally, they got back in the studio and they had it recorded for me mm-hmm. and they produced beautiful written of it. it's available. It's, it's all, it's on all the major streaming platforms. It's called great and marvelous revelation 15 by John Jackson Craig, um, which again, he is not the one whose voice you'll hear singing it, sure. but he is the one who wrote the melody and the lyrics. And so it's on, um, you can listen to it, right? You know, anybody who's listening now, they can find it on YouTube. They can listen to it right away. And if, and if you love it and if you want to go grab it, it is available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple music, um, Amazon music. Um, and so I, everybody needs to immediately not only go stream it, they need to actually purchase it too. Everybody listening to this, please go purchase that for real. Thank you so much. That would, that would mean the world to me. And, and I, I would hope, that that song would minister to to your heart just as much as it has to mine because I've played that. Of course, I'm biased to it, but or towards it. But I mean, I played that over and over and over and over and over and over because you see, never drop the things that you're holding on to, the pain that you're carrying that's just so heavy. If you can, even if for a moment, just kind of drop it for a minute and free your hands so that you can praise your savior, then that can really aid. That is the one thing that can heal your heart. And it makes the pain, the burden, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you leave him out of it, then the burden that you carry on this earth is that much worse. And so listening to that, really ministered to my heart of course like i said of course i'm biased but it was ministering to my soul yeah that's that's beautiful um you know when i think of the book of uh hebrews the there's a chapter that comes to mind and let me rephrase that when i think of you and john there's a chapter in hebrews that comes to mind and that's sometimes nicknamed the faith hall of fame uh where St. Paul or whoever the author of Hebrews was goes through and says, Abraham by faith, Moses by faith. And it talks about all of the people, all the old Testament saints and people who persevered through burnings and scourgings and all sorts of difficulties and nevertheless remained steadfast in their faith. And it sounds like John remained steadfast, fast in his faith all the way to the end. And uh, so have you. Um, so I look up to you and, um, 
Don't look up to me. <laughs> well, I will be, I, I will, I will do like uh, St. Paul said, and I will, I will imitate St. Paul as he imitates Christ. And if I can have the kind of faith you have, uh, may God grant it. Um, so I, I, I want to thank you for, for being on here today. Uh, it's meant a lot to me. I've really wanted to do this for a very long time, but it, it never felt uh, right until just recently. So um, all things in their proper time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to to the uh, listeners, please check us out at Brews Beards on Instagram. We're also on all the uh, podcast platforms. Please uh, drop a five-star rating and share with your friend, but especially take this episode. If you know someone who could benefit from this, um, share it with someone and just say, you know, check this out, listen to this story. There's something to it here. Um, you know, of course, this is a... Uh, is an, this podcast is an, is an extension of my group, Royal Ruckus. Um, and John Craig was, uh, he was a perfectionist, uh, which is probably why he never recorded that song to the finish before he passed. Uh, I, the, the rest of the story on that Tennessee Tiki song is those vocals we recorded that night, he would not let me use them. And I thought they were excellent. And he told me he had to re-record them perfectly and uh, I, I actually, at one point toward the end, when I was about to release that song, I, I don't know what I would have done if he hadn't sent me. I don't think I would have re released anything without his permission, but I threatened him. I said, if, yeah. you, if you do not send me final vocals, I will put those Natty Light vocals on there. <laughs> within a week, I had quality vocals that went on. Oh, that's so funny. So, so anybody wanting to uh, hear John rap, uh, you can hear that on the Tennessee Tiki song. He has uh, by far the finest verse of the four rappers on that song. Um, now, uh, he had a great uh, rapping voice. I'll tell you that much. He did. Seriously, seriously, and, um, and and in fact, I would have loved to have had him on my world's okayest rapper record, which is what I was working on in Los Angeles uh, when uh -huh. you guys were in Mexico. Um, and, and my goodness, I, I hope they have headphones in heaven because I hope he got to hear the fire spit on that record. He would be proud. So, uh, the fire. <laughs> the fire. so, uh, in, in other things at Royal Ruckus official on Instagram and some other things, I'm not sure all the things there's also at Royal Ruckus on, I don't know, Twitter and people just Royal Ruckus. We're on there. Follow us. Uh, Nomadic Vagabond, tell us what you got. What do you want to drop? Um, it's just nomadic vagabond, all one word on Instagram. Um, I'm not on anything else. <laughs> and it's nomadic I, with a K. With a K. Yes. With a K. <laughs> um, I mean, other than that, uh, Alexandria, it was, it was a blessing for me to be part of this. And, um, especially just what's going on right now with me and my family and stuff. Like I was definitely beyond blessed so um thank you and yeah we we definitely want to have you back on um yeah soon honestly it's just it's been a blessing thank you i'm humbled thank you i i'm i'm humbled myself so thank you it's been like i said it's an honor thank you well on that note let's play great and marvelous
Oh uh-huh.